Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. everyone. Um, I'd like to welcome, add my welcome to Taylor's, um, that it's really lovely to be here with you all this morning. And I particularly want to welcome those of you who are joining in with us online, whether now or in the future. So for those who don't know me, my name is Emily or M, and I've been coming here to Gawley Uniting Church for at least six years now. And today, I have the privilege of bringing you the second message in our new series, Romans, The Power of Grace. Last week, our lead pastor, Reverend Josh Shearer, introduced us to our new series. He began with stating that Romans is arguably one of the um, earliest New New Testament letters ever written, and it is a very significant book to theologians throughout history. It is a very influential and life-changing book that is applicable to everyone. And Romans is also a book that answers a lot of very significant questions that us as humans have. And so these are some of the reasons as to why we are doing a series on Romans. Last week, Josh covered the first 17 verses of Romans, which addressed the question, why did Paul write Romans? Well, he wrote Romans to clarify the gospel, to bring unity to the church, and to prove God's righteousness and consistency throughout time. If you missed last week's message, I highly recommend that you go back and watch or listen to it on either our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or head on over to our podcast. This week, we'll be concluding the first chapter of Romans by looking at the final 14 verses. But first, would you please pray with me, church? Heavenly Father, thank you that we have access to your word and that it is readily available to us here in Australia. Thank you that we are also able to gather here publicly today to delve into your word. As we continue through our journey of Paul's letter to the Church of Rome, let it be your words that are heard. Let it be your voice that speaks. Lord God, please let me be a vessel as to what you want your people to hear. And Lord, please give your people the ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I'm just going to jump straight into Romans. Um, But before I address verses 18 to 32, I wanted us to quickly revisit the last two verses from last week because Paul takes a pretty dark turn, starting in verse 18. So Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Verse 16 speaks hope that we need to keep in mind as we delve into today's passage. And that hope is that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And verse 17 gives us the context for verses 18 to 20 when it speaks about the righteousness of God. So without further ado, we're just going to jump straight into Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. Then we'll break this passage down and explore what it has to say. Sound good? Good, because we're going to do it anyway. So... (laughs) Um, And if anyone wants to know, I have the new international version up on the screen. So Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So, what a nice passage, right? Um, not going to lie, it's a tricky and confronting passage that is not particularly appealing to the average person. 
And I really struggled with this passage as I prepared today's message and had to listen to multiple people speak on this passage in an effort to wrap my head around it. It's a really important passage though, as here Paul is persuading the people of Rome that they are lost, that they have a lost condition. And this is key because unless a person is persuaded of their lost condition, then they won't be concerned about their deliverance. It is also important to note that in the broader context, during the time Paul wrote Romans, the Roman Empire was heavily involved in pagan worship. And with Rome being the empire's capital, it was particularly influenced by idol worship and public pornographic displays as part of the pagan religion. And so this context can give us a clue as to why Paul specifically targets idol worship, sexual impurity and other sexual sins in this passage. This passage also answers a very significant question, what is wrong with people? Because it is a universal truth that people do bad things in this world all the time and it seems that evil prevails. The Bible says that the root of our problem is sin and Paul fleshes this out as fleshes this out in the second half of the first chapter of Romans. And as we explore deeper into Romans, we'll see this, that this question of what is wrong with people can be answered with five points that are all connected to each other. So let's jump into exploring what this passage has to say, starting with Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse." For though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Even within these first six verses, there is a lot to unpack. So we're going to start off by looking directly at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So I think it's first important to distinguish between godlessness and wickedness. Godlessness is an impiety or a lack of reverence that places humanity above God not just in terms of neglect, but also of rebellion. That is, we don't just ignore God, we do all we can to go against God. Wickedness, on the other hand, is an injustice that relates to the poor quality of conduct that people have towards each other. So this is an important difference, as godlessness is how humanity relates to God, while wickedness is how humanity relates to each other. 
Another important note here in verse 18 is that it follows on from verse 17. In verse 17, the righteousness of God is being revealed. While here in verse 18, it is the wrath of God that is being revealed. And it's also vitally important to know that God's wrath differs from human wrath. A human's wrath is an, is an anger and a passion for revenge. So we're having very, a lot of difficulties with the computer today, so the slides will eventually catch up. Um, so a human's wrath is an anger and a passion for revenge, which is aimed at another person. Well, God's wrath, on the other hand, um, sorry, God's wrath, on the other hand, is not temperamental, but judicial in character. And it is aimed at sin, not a person. I love the way that the New Bible commentary explains it. The wrath of God is not, of course, an emotional rage, but a steadfast and absolute opposition to all that is evil. The wrath of God that is being revealed is against everything evil. So moving on, let's follow up verse 18 with verses 19 and 20. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In verses 19 and 20, we see that since the beginning, God has made himself known to humankind and he has made what there is to know about himself plain. And he has made this knowledge of the truth plain to us through his creation. The New Bible Commentary also has an interesting note which says, This passage is one of the most important in the Bible for the concept of natural revelation. The idea that, in addition to revealing himself in Christ and in the scriptures, God has also revealed himself to everybody through nature and history. As Paul will hint at later, all human beings have the capacity to receive such revelation because they continue to bear the divine image. This is referencing back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, when God made mankind in his own image. However, Verse 18 of Romans, chapter 1, also gives us a sad truth, that we suppress the truth of the knowledge of God through our wickedness. We deny God as our creator, and this is problematic. And we see this begin to become problematic in verses 21 to 23. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. 
In denying God as our creator, we replace him. And this is the first point in answering our question, what is our problem? Not only that, but it is the foundation to the root of our problem. We, that is all of humanity, know who God is as a result of his natural revelation to us, and yet we refuse to recognize him. The Expositor's Bible commentary has an interesting note on their thinking became futile in verse 21. The suggestion that emerges from this statement is that mythology and idolatry grew out of man's insistent need to recognise some power in the universe greater than himself, coupled with his refusal to give God the place of supremacy. Linking this to verses 22 and 23, we see examples of this in the Bible. In Daniel chapters 2 and 3, we see Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar elevate himself, a mortal man, as something to be worshipped. And in Exodus 32, we see the Israelites who worship the golden calf, which is the image of an animal. This was also a prevalent issue in Roman culture with the excessive worship of Caesar, who was seen as godlike. And there was also the belief that if one sacrificed to various gods of human, bird, animal and reptilian form, then one could be spared from natural disasters and also receive a multitude of blessings. A parallel example in today's culture are the beliefs in fate, in the universe, or a greater power. In denying God as our creator, we turn to idols because we as humans are created to worship. So if we don't worship God, it becomes a question of what will we worship? An idol is anything that we prioritize over God. It may be work, family, social media, identity, sex, money, your physical appearance, or even technology. An idol isn't necessarily inherently bad. In fact, most idols are usually good things. However, they are inadequate to fill the hole that we have that is designed for worshipping God. And as we'll see, as we keep diving into this section of Romans, idol worship is an internal problem with external consequences because idolatry breeds immorality. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 28. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. 
In these verses, we discover our second point in answering our question, what is our problem? And that is, in response to his replacement in people's lives, God is judging people. And we can see this particularly in verses 24, 26 and 28 with the refrain, God gave them over. In verse 24, God gives us over to the sinful desires in our heart as a result of replacing him with idols. Similarly, in verse 26, God gives us over to shameful lusts as a result of exchanging the truth about God for a lie. That is, choosing to worship created things instead of him, the creator. And in verse 28, God gives us over to a depraved mind as a result of failing to retain the knowledge of who he is. In each of these verses, we see that there are consequences for rejecting God. So let's quickly backtrack to verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Uh, go ahead a couple of slides, please, Antaine. Yeah. Um, so this is the lie above all others. The contention that something or someone is to be venerated, that is, revered or given great respect, in place of the true God. Humankind traded in the truth about our creator for that of a lie, and in doing so, turned to worshipping created things instead of the creator, which resulted in us eliminating God from our worship. Amazingly, though, God's glory still remains despite our rejection of him. Now we're going to read back over Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not to be done. Here we see the third point in answering our question. As a result of God's judgment upon us, our minds no longer work the way they should. God gave us over to a depraved mind which results in us doing what ought not to be done. In other words, we continually do things that we know we shouldn't do. And this is a consequence of sin. Sin isn't this big and complicated thing. It is fairly simple. Sin is an act of moving away from God and towards something or someone other than him. And sin clouds our judgment, which leads us to making decisions that we, if we had a clear mind, would know not to make. And in Romans chapter 1, verses 29 to 31, we see the result of our mind no longer working properly. They, humanity, have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. 
as a result of our minds no longer working properly, we do evil things. And this is a really extensive list. Wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, God-haters, the insolent, the arrogant and boastful. We invent ways of doing evil. We disobey our parents. We have no understanding. We have no fidelity. We have no love and we have no mercy. And the sad thing is everyone is capable of doing all these things. And although we are highly unlikely to be guilty of every single one, we would all be guilty of at least one. And if we were to be brutally honest, we are all probably guilty of at least four or five. Last verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 32. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Not only do people do evil, but people celebrate and encourage people in doing evil. The fifth and final point in answering our question, what is our problem, is that people celebrate evil. In a defiant revolt against God, humanity is guilty in encouraging all unrighteous things. And the sad reality is that people see sin as funny or justifiable. An example could be a lawyer celebrating that they managed to get their guilty client off the hook. Or a woman might be praised for getting revenge on her ex. Even if you were to do what I did and Google pure evil, you would find that there's a book, a fandom community, other literature, literature forms, an art gallery, various art pieces, a film, music, a few different food splice bent, food spice blends, and it's even the name of an award-winning stud sheep in the United States. Humans celebrate evil. People celebrate rebellion against God. So, we have a problem. What can we do? Well, on our own, nothing. We have a problem that we ourselves cannot fix. But there is hope in the gospel because as we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it is the power of God that brings salvation, that is the deliverance of sin, to everyone who believes. So in conclusion, we have a problem. We replace God, so God judges us, which leads to our minds not working properly, which results in people doing evil things and then people celebrate evil. But we have hope in the gospel that as God works to save us from our sins in Jesus Christ, which we will see as we continue on through our journey in Romans. So as you go out into your week, I challenge you to identify where there may be idols in your life that are distracting you from worshipping your creator. Or if that seems too difficult, then begin by by identifying what your priorities are in life. What do you put first? Because we all put something first and everything else after.
please close with me in prayer. O Lord God, we are sorry that we not only neglect you, but that we actively rebel against you by choosing to worship anything other than you. Please help us to reorientate ourselves back to you. Help us to remember that you are our creator. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness, mercy and grace that comes through Jesus Christ. And thank you for the hope we can have in the gospel, which brings salvation to anyone who believes. Lord, you are to be praised and exalted forever. Let our praise to you be on our tongues and minds continually as we go out into our week. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.